Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. So for the first time this year, we're not saying Red Bull won. A Grand Prix won by Carlos Sainz in his Ferrari led every lap of the Grand Prix, actually followed home by Lando Norris and Lewis Hamilton. Only just will get into a last lap crash from teammate George Russell, who was distraught at a driver error and losing that third place. Second Ferrari, Charles Leclerc was in fourth and Max Verstappen. Was it a great recovery drive or was it a weekend to forget? Our experts will chip in. Coming home fifth, a good weekend though for Gasly finishing sixth and Oscar Piastri in seventh. Another recovery from Perez in eighth. The ran last at one point in the second Red Bull and brilliant for Liam Lawson to get points and Kevin Magnussen in the Haas as well. Good to be back on the podcast. Thank you to Bryn for covering over Monza. I was on paternity for two weeks. We adopted a little baby girl and so we've added to our family we've now got two a five and a baby uh, and so maybe uh, one of our guests like kevin turner editor of auto sports uh, sorry uh, a chief editor uh, can uh, can help me with how do i cope with two because you've got two kev is it twice as hard as having one or is it just sort of is it incremental uh, when i've worked it out i'll let you know uh, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, uh, I would say I would say tw- twice as hard early on, but obviously once they're old enough to play together, then uh, yeah, that that becomes helpful until they then start fighting, and then it's hard again. I'm not sure if that is useful at all. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> I don't know what time of the day it is, but there we go. Uh, I'm here, and I'm glad to be back working on the podcast. Great to be back as well, uh, talking to our Grand Prix editor uh, Alex Kalanokis, who doesn't have to worry about things like children because he was just having uh, a fun social weekend. He was just saying, which is brilliant, and uh, was probably I think probably what Alex just waking up in time to watch the Grand Prix today after yesterday's party. I had to get back from a wedding uh, in Hertfordshire near Welling Garden City, so that that was the immediate uh, rush to get back for the start of the race. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> but also Very just mate, nice. just congratulations, Martin. Oh, it's good to you, have mate. you back and we hope everything's going well for you. 
Yeah, it really is. Yes, adoption's a little scary, but we're getting there. And in Singapore is our man, Matt Q, where it is just gone 3 a.m. his time. But you guys work on Euro time, right? But still, you know, it's still it's still like you can't fool the body uh, that much. And that's, uh, Matt, I'll start with you, actually, because we'll talk about Carlos Sainz, led every lap. Uh, he led from the front. How impressed were you with Carlos Sainz's win today? Because that the end, when they were closing him down, and was it going to be Norris? Was it going to be Russell? Who was going to get the win? How impressed? Matt, where are you today uh, with Carlos Sainz? Oh, and, and and welcome to the podcast, Matt. Oh, thanks, Martin. Congratulations, your end. And yeah, yeah, it's not too bad sort of uh, time zone. Well, I'm not too, feeling too jet lagged, but the uh, the hotel checkout desk doesn't work to European time, so that's that's a limiting factor. That's a limiting factor here. And then uh, not not to complain in any way, but we we fly very late tomorrow, so that's uh, a long period in the humid sun. So uh, people on the thin air flight, I think on row 58, I do apologize for my personal hygiene uh, tomorrow evening but cross that bridge come to it uh, before we dissect signs I'm just going to throw a random question probably like care is well positioned but we were discussing in the media centre what's the biggest step up in quality from a first win to a second win after signs oh. we got we got to Giancarlo Fischer-Keller where 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 do you level out on that, mate? Because uh, the signs was absolutely imperious uh, this weekend. In fact, after after sort of uh, benefiting from Ferrari's strategy blunder in Silverstone last year, um, yeah, where does it compare? Well, I, th- I thought his his British Grand Prix win was was pretty good anyway. Like from his own personal performance, I know that he he had some had some luck. Alex is shaking his head, but that's just because he loves Charles Leclerc, which we'll get onto later because he was actually thumped by science today, wasn't he? Which, and uh, last weekend, uh, it and was uh, yeah, nah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm fans of both really. I think they're both brilliant. But uh, yeah, I mean, it it is a it is a pretty big step up. I'm trying to think of anyone that that maybe locked into their first. Officer Keller's was obviously completely crazy. That's probably going to remain the biggest gap because the win was at Brazil in 2003 was absolutely ridiculous but it's uh, uh, you know I think it was one of the most intelligent race wins I can think of for quite a long time and science is beginning to remind me slightly of a, of a Nico Rosberg type figure in the sense that he is not the best driver of his generation but he's close and his work ethic and brains I think could get him into a championship fight in the right circumstances. Whether he could pull it off like Nico did, obviously there were a lot of circumstances that helped Rosberg win his 2016 title. But I kind of think of science in that kind of, he's not quite a Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc, Lewis Hamilton on his absolute peak, but he's close enough that, you know, with the right wind behind him and in the right mood, he can he can do those sorts of performances. The momentum's really with him at the minute and there's there's sort of a, a fair reason behind that. So um, we can get on to why Red Bull weren't quite in the fight and what's gone on up and down the grid. But I think this goes sort of back to Zandvoort where Ferrari effectively wrote off the weekend and just used it as, as, as a test session in hindsight, just really analysed that car. Because if you remember like from Miami, the, the line was the upgrade from here is all about making the Ferrari SF23 more benign look like instantly shunts it into a wall with that new floor that makes it more benign and so sort of the car's been super spiky but the performance has fallen away since there so they used Zandvoort to understand it and basically the car is now Leclerc likes a driving style that sort of is, is built around oversteer but when the Ferrari oversteers it oversteers and snaps away from him and and you know it, it all goes wrong so they've dialed in a bit of understeer in that setup to sort of make it 
quick and stable and that has moved the car towards science which is why Alex says you know he's been he's been arguably the lead lead uh, scooter rear driver for the last three races and I think add that onto um add that onto a onto a street circuit and a very humid one with those you know fiddly 90 degree corners that basically put so much load through the rear tires uh, under acceleration and that's why signs was again the lead ferrari driver this weekend those really compounding so red bull with their you know sudden drop off uh mercedes you know obviously betting it all on that medium tire and and one of the cars finishing that's where that's where signs sort of yeah, it really came to him this weekend. Yeah, a, a, a proper proper performance from him. And what he didn't lose in the pressure, the heat, the humidity, was that thing of just the confidence, the, the, the spare brain's capacity to overrule on strategy and, you know, to say when he's going to back up. As we've seen throughout the season, whether it's a, an innocuous or seemingly innocuous when to pit, when to stay out, when to take the hards, when to mediums. But he did all that while having Norris and... Uh, uh, and Leclerc uh, as it was, and the Mercs were breathing down his neck. So yeah, proper performance. There's a, there was a lesson from Monza as well that I think really helped Science and Fred Vasseur talked about that uh, after the race today, which is that he's really learned that it really pays off to be on it right from the beginning of the weekend. Like Matt, do you remember last year we used to watch? I think it was every race Max Verstappen uh, would come out of the pits in FP1 and immediately go fastest. And there's something to be said. I know there was all that comedy about Valtteri Bottas as the FP1 world champion or whatever a few years back. But in terms of building a weekend, there's something really to that, I think, for certain drivers. And science, according to Vasseur, because he's talked about this, he talked about it in Monza, he's obviously talking about it again today. That's obviously something that really resonates with him and is obviously something he's been wanting to see because Leclerc can sort of turn it on more, if that makes sense, Like especially in qualifying. He's always pretty much a factor, even if he's been nowhere uh, previously, whereas science suddenly that seems to come unstuck. Whereas the last few races, when he's been on it from the start, he's been able to to, to carry that through, and it and it resulted in two magnificent pole positions. And Kev, I think you're you're spot on there with that uh, description of this as being sort of the cleverest win for years. I think I think uh, the, the and, and Matt as well. You said it the uh, the the capacity to think to give Norris DRS at the end. And, and Vasseur confirmed it. It wasn't a Ferrari thing. They didn't suggest it to him. He just decided to do it. And he, because he asked, he asked for the gap for Norris and he was getting it. And he was like, they were like, yeah, Norris has got DRS. He was like, yeah, I know. It's deliberate. I want him to have DRS because there was a race. I can't, I, we talked about it on the video we recorded earlier, Matt and Martin. It still hasn't come back to me, but there was one team with, a, with you know, with the cars in first and third a couple of years ago. And the, the driver in third has been like, oh, get, slow, slow, slow my teammate down, slow him down so that I can get to, you know, and they're like, no, we can't do that because then the car in second place will have DRS and it's much harder when they come to these sort of proper top speeds. Like I think the, the, the Mercedes at times with the draggy package, when it has DRS, Verstappen in Spa couldn't overtake it. So, you know, it, do, it does, it is a real big factor and really clever of science to, to, to think of, think of that at such a late stage in such a stressful race. But if it had gone wrong, if it had just mistimed, uh, you know, acceleration zone and, somehow Lando had got past for the win it you know it could have been from hero to zero really could Lando have done that what do you think about the Ferrari and McLaren pace Kev well I mean obviously the, the upgrade package from McLaren has, has, has helped uh, and they, they have made good progress but yeah I mean their first half of that race was intriguing rather than exciting wasn't it because you know Ferrari have over the last year year and a half had a problem with tyre wear and Science knew that he could manage it. Obviously, they got Leclerc up to second with starting him on the soft, so they could manage the pace. And that's why the 
the the field didn't spread out. You know, concertina together. Now, obviously, when you're running that, you could make a mistake, and Lando could have snatched a win in those circumstances. I don't I'm not convinced that McLaren suddenly going to be going and winning loads of races. But it but when you've got an unusual race like that, yes, you're right. Carlos could have made a mistake, and Lando got him. But I think that shows confidence and backing yourself, and that Sites just felt in control and. You know, that it's such a fine margin to let someone get within DRS but not close enough to overtake. But he never looked like Lando never looked like he was getting past. He just kept him there. You can be my barrier to the Mercs. I thought it was you know, it was Jackie Stewart, Lamb Prost, Mark Schumacher esque and it's when someone's completely on top of their game controlling a race. But he controlled the race up to that point with the time management as well. And you could see he'd done a pretty good job on that because of how far Leclerc finished behind that group on essentially the same strategy at the end, although, of course, yeah, he was in a different track position, so it's not a completely straight comparison. Um, so, no, I think... I suspect the way Science is driving this weekend, I think he probably was, would... He could do that to Lando again another 10 times over and not make the mistake. Matt, can you talk a little bit to your thoughts on the Ferrari teammate battle? Obviously, that's two poles in a row now for Science. You know, Leclerc was less than a tenth off on Saturday from getting a you know a Ferrari front row lockout, and yet today, over twenty seconds behind at the flag, looked well and truly beaten. Can you just talk to your thoughts on that teammate battle at Ferrari? If I wanted uh, a driver, if my life depended on a driver to set a qualifying lap, I'm, I'm picking I'm picking Leclerc. I, I think, even though the potential for a, a shunt is probably slightly higher. Oh yeah, but it's a, it's a hero or zero, isn't it? Go out in a blaze Absolutely. of glory or survive. <laughs> Absolutely, uh, uh, and and sort of as as I said earlier, I, d- I don't think this is uh, necessarily signs asserting himself in uh, as the clear Ferrari team leader. I just think circumstantially the way that car has developed has gone towards him a little bit. If you think back to sort of late end of last year Mercedes had that win in Brazil and it, it, it threw them for this year because suddenly thought ah this car concept it's got potential let's stick with it and and they were completely wrong to do so Ferrari with its recent improvement which is relative because we've not had Red Bull feature so strongly today but that speaks it's more sustainable it's now transferred from you know Monza to Singapore and the anticipation is it comes again in good in Suzuka that suggests a much more thorough understanding of the car which will then long term benefit the development for the rest of this ground effect era that's mega but for now that car is in a state of compromise as I said it uh, Leclerc wants to be able to slide it naturally but in at the minute it's sort of if it, if it steps beyond a certain point, it snaps and it goes. So that is in a state of compromise. That particular state of compromise happens to suit signs. Uh, today, though, um, yeah, Leclerc was sort of uh, hurt by that double stack and and having to having to. Uh, uh, he was having to wait for both Mercedes to come through. That's where that's where he lost his time. But even prior to that, he said all along the all along the way, this is not a title on the line. It is about knocking Red Bull off their perch and getting a win. Therefore, I'm happy to be the team player. There is no sort of bigger prize end goal here. It's all about today. Signs in a better position. So I'll be that rear gun at support. So even though the radio messages were clipped up, that's still why when you go, right, in the next two laps, we need you to drop five seconds back. There wasn't protestation. Leclerc knew what the, the end game was there and he, and he abided by it perfectly. You know, it's interesting to hear about the, the, the Ferrari change because that's, well, that's the reverse to what Red Bull did last year, isn't it? essentially and we we know what happened when you go make the car go edgy again the top drivers are the ones that pull away and i'm not, I, i'm not suggesting for one moment the gap between leclerc and Sainz is anything like the 
absolutely enormous gulf between Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez, but it's it's kind of a similar a similar kind of thing, isn't it? And also, we shouldn't be too surprised that science can do this on a weekend because he's a guy that compared pretty well against Max Verstappen at Toro Rosso, and you know, a, a similarly against Landon Norris, admittedly less experienced when they were at McLaren. So we kn- we've known for a long time that science was capable of doing this. His problem is that he hasn't been able to do it as consistently. So I, I suspect if it came down to a championship challenge in a different dynamic, we probably would be looking at Leclerc leading the Ferrari line again. But I, I think it's quite nice that science is having his moment. And I think to, to think today was absolutely superb. Can I, Alex, just pick up on what Matt said about the false hope that Mercedes had from when they had a little uh, blip in good form? Is there any chance you think that Ferrari might get a little kind of run away with this? You know, they'll go to work Monday morning. The flags will be out of Maranello. They've got to win. Uh, is there any chance that they might get ahead of themselves a little bit, a uh, sort of false dawn kind of thing? Are they kid themselves into thinking, you know, they led the Italian Grand Prix, now they've gone and won and broken the Red Bull winning streak, or their feet well and truly on the ground and know the work they've got to do? It's tricky, isn't it? It's like, there's two ways of looking at it. One, as as Matt has said, they've made changes to the car and it's and it's paid off, right? And clearly that car is better on its tyres than it was at the beginning of the year. Like we saw it in Spa before the summer break. They insisted they made progress in Zambor, even though it was an absolutely shocking weekend. And then it was okay enough to challenge the Red Bull's in in Monza and obviously win the race here. So yes, they've definitely made a step and but the, the, the note of caution is right because I, it's, it's tricky really because I know Ferrari are a bit sensitive to when we basically tell the truth about a situation, right? I'm not knocking them this weekend. They did absolutely fantastic. And honestly, you know, for a team that's got a lot of criticism for its strategy, okay, I think uh, Matt, has, uh, Matt has informed me that it was Leclerc's call to start on the softs. That paid off handsomely, right? But everything else seemed to work out in their favour, even the fact that, you know, they needed to build in time for the undercut and everything from from Russell behind in the early stages. That's why Leclerc was dropping back. The fact that he did it, you know, without without kicking off too much, there was a little bit of pushback. There was a little bit of like, oh, but then I'll be at risk sort of thing. Still did it. All of that, absolutely fantastic. And I really, really want Ferrari and Ferrari fans to say that fantastic they they absolutely nailed this one right but there's a reason why they nailed it it's the circumstances of this race allowed them to control the pace at the front and the Red Bulls were absent and did you see the speed Max Verstappen had at the end of the race let's not forget that the Ferrari's only pit stop happened under a safety car and the Red Bull started 11th, had to make a green flag pit stop and nearly beat the other car. Their race pace, had they been starting nearer the front, I'm still convinced Max Verstappen would have won that race. Maybe he maybe he would have got stuck behind science like, like Russell did, you know, if they're all on the same tyre strategy. But that Red Bull, it's not... Like, when it gets to Suzuka and they're able to run it low to the ground like they like it's going to be in another league again. Like, oh, so it's going it, to disappear at Suzuki, yeah. isn't it? It'll be on another postcode, yeah. So it's it's a note of caution. It's don't think that you're suddenly back in the title hunt, but I don't think they will. I think, like Vasseur said, you know, we don't think about Red Bull. We just think about making our uh, our thing better. Um so, so that, so I guess that's, I guess that's, that's got to be the approach for for Red Bull, and you know, they're uh, sorry for for Ferrari, and I think they're sensible enough to do that. It's just sort of like this was fantastic, a brilliant, well executed victory because the circumstances came their way in very specific ways. But hats off to them, they nailed it. 
We're 20 minutes in. We'll take a quick break. First third of the podcast done when we come back. Big question, can Mercedes, could Mercedes have won today? Should they have won? And then Red Bull, did they lose the Grand Prix actually on Friday and Saturday after what Alex just said about their race pace? Their race pace is always uh, very good. And more questions about who else stood out and had a great Grand Prix today. Stick around. Back in a sec. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, welcome back to the Autosport Podcast. Uh, we've got Matt Q in Singapore, uh, joined by Alice Kalanokis and Kevin Turner as well. Let's talk about Mercedes then. So with just under 20 laps to go, they rolled the dice at Mercedes. Now we found out after qualifying that, you know, Mercedes said, look, we've got an extra spare, a set of the mediums. And then a lot of their competitors said, oh, well, yes, but it relies on a certain very specific set of circumstances, like, you know, a late VSC or something uh, for them to even play that hand, which they had. Well, it turned out there was. And, uh, and so they did. So with less than 20 laps to go, pitted for a new set of mediums. Clearly, that was the right tyre with that fuel load, with that track rubbered in, because they were, you know, a second plus quicker than everybody else. So Russell pitted from second, Hamilton pitted from fourth. And then for a time, it looked like, well, it, it almost, you know, you think, well, could we see two Mercedes uh, on the podium? Could they have, have, have got the win today? Because Russell seemed to cruise up to the leading pack and then... I don't know, like the temperatures went up or, you know, the tyres went off or something and he just couldn't get past Lando Norris. Well, first of all, they made an intriguing race exciting, didn't they? That they, they made the race come alive. Um, and it was, yeah, as you say, they had the specific uh, circumstances they needed to make use of their medium. Uh, and yeah, they could have won. I think, you know, 10, 10 laps from the end or 15 laps to the end, eight laps from the end, you think they might do this. But obviously, they had to get past... They had to get the past the clerk. They did that pretty quickly. They didn't lose too much time. And I think, obviously, by the time they got to the front two, uh, they they probably had taken the best out of their tyres at that point. But I still I still think there was a chance. I think maybe if Science doesn't get that, doesn't let Lando have the DRS, maybe they pick Lando off and they pick Science off. You know, I think that it could have been that crucial keeping Lando as that as that buffer. The other interesting thing though is that having spent the entire weekend 
not as quick as Russell. Hamilton was absolutely on fire on that medium tyre at the end. He came out, I think he was about 4.7 seconds behind on the outlap. It went up to just over five, and then he was taking chunks out of George while George was taking chunks out of the cars ahead. Now, actually, I think he had more tyre left at the end as well. I think if Russell miraculously vanishes with four or five laps to go, I think Hamilton has a better chance of doing Norris and Sainz, but there's no way in hell that Toto can get on the radio and say to George, you know you've been quicker for two and a half days, we need you out of the way now, mate, because Hamilton's decided that he actually quite fancies win, one, win number 104. So they were kind of in a situation where George didn't look as convincing by the time he got by Lando and George was, uh, and Lewis was all over him, but you can't, you can't do anything at that point, really. Um, so yes, they definitely could have won the race. The pace is impressive. It's funny, isn't it? All that time when Mercedes were the dominant force, Singapore was there, Achilles Hill, uh, and then and then now we're in a Red Bull era, and 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 it's caught them out. And Mercedes look quick. It's obviously a very funny track and layout and surface street track type event. So yeah, Mercedes could have won, but you know a combination of perhaps not quite having them in the right order at the end and Science's clever bit of thinking prevented them from doing it. And of course, last lap, Lando Norris brushes the wall and then Russell following him. We've seen, I, I think it often or sometimes happens in the wet as well, where the car that you're following can go off and then the car behind, you, you'd spin off or you go off after the car you're travelling in sympathy in a way. And uh, the, the, kind of, the same thing kind of happened today, Alex, you suggested on the video that we did earlier with Russell who properly clonked the wall and uh, and lost out on a podium, lost out to third, which promoted Hamilton. Alex, what did you think of the, the Mercedes battle today and could they have won the Grand Prix? Yeah, oh, oh, I definitely think they could. I think I think Kev's hit the nail on the head there. It was Lewis showing yet again what how good he is with these Pirelli tyres. Like, not only was he absolutely rapid, he didn't overheat them. He didn't wear them more than Russell did. He wasn't sliding around. And I think, yeah, had he been the lead Mercedes car, I definitely think he wins that race. Um, as, I, as I said on the video that we did for, for Autosports YouTube channel, Martin, like Russell's been fantastic. Like the last few races, even in Monza, when Mercedes were pretty terrible, other than he's getting a penalty. Yeah, fair enough. Other than that, he was tremendous there. So again, it's a bit like, it's a bit like science. He's had this reset and I really hope that, that crash doesn't dent at form and that confidence for Russell, because I think he has just been pretty tremendous lately, but yeah, they definitely could have won the race. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's interesting though. Don't you think that in an alternate universe, I still think science wins the race, but actually I think we're talking about, wow, it was tense to the end, but actually that was a really dull race. Because what Kev talked about earlier with the tyre management at the beginning, it was like, oh, this could, you know, there was, oh, this could be a bit of a slog. Uh, but actually the way it worked out with uh, the VSC and Ocon and the Mercedes using that new set of uh, mediums, it was a- absolutely uh, tremendous. But yeah, Martin, you're right. I also referenced on that video because I obviously I'm, I'm back home in London watching uh, the Sky coverage and Martin Brundle, which quick sidebar, by the way, because I've noted he, he gets some criticism on social media. He's still easily the best colour commentator of, of all of the mo- of all of motorsport. Like, he's still fantastic, even though he hasn't driven uh, in Formula 1 for what, nearly 30 years. But what, anyway, side note, because basically what he said was, is that on these street tracks, your eyes just get sucked in when you're following another car really closely. You've got the walls so close and things can just go wrong. And we saw exactly that with Russell like Norris hit the wall and Russell just got sucked in whacked it as well and he ends up having the massive accident so yeah I just thought it was just really interesting that literally what Martin Wonder said came true so I thought worth uh, worth praising that insight there but uh, but yeah definitely a winnable race uh, for Mercedes again because the circumstances came to them right Matt I'm going to ask you about Red Bull in a second but before I do any thoughts on Mercedes that you want to chip in that we haven't covered off so far 
couple of comments from from Wolf. I can I can read back to. You. I thought were quite enlightening. You said uh, Russell had the ninety nine point nine percent perfect weekend, and a bit like what I was saying earlier about um, how Leclerc was willing to sacrifice his race, knowing that there's a bigger picture. Wolf was sort of similarly sort of um, uh, enigmatic like that. He said basically, Russell, we know he's an uber talent. He showed that all the way through the junior formulas at Williams and at moments last season. But he's still young and he's not used to fighting at the front. So, George, go and make all your silly mistakes while you're under pressure now. Get them out of your system because when we've got a race-winning title-winning car and you're flawless, then then it's fine. So long as so long as you 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 do your you, you know, like you said, he had a he realised the win wasn't up for grabs anymore um, as as a final laps ticked down. So it was a lapse in concentration. Get the and as Alex has said earlier, you know what what science has done. You have to be on it from the word go. You can have no sort of lapses whatsoever. Like Russell had at the end, um, it was a bit of a, uh, a, a an egregious error, really. But yeah, we'll say get it out of your system and, and then it's fine. But Mercedes is decent. Uh, he, just again, as Wolf, a Wolf, sort of in a in a nice Austrian English way, called it a surprise box that W fourteen. I did try to put it to him that the W fourteen was. So I'll try and keep this brief, but the W13 was designed to run as low as possible to maximise the ground effect. Effect For this year, they went the other way around and raised it too high and then worked out the sweet spot is somewhere in the middle. So it's designed to be a higher car, but it's now running in the middle. So it's been in a state of compromise. Well, because Singapore is bumpy, street track, high curbs, all all teams raised their ride height for it. And I did try and put, so was the W team finally in this narrow operating window that's barely been able to find? They didn't really bite on that, but I do wonder if there was something on it. Not, again, that this should direct them down that way to raise it high for every race. They should still absolutely bin this concept and start again for next year, which they are doing. But I just wonder whether, again, with the caveat that Red Bull weren't there, Aston Martin have their own problems, but whether that's why we saw the, the Mercedes be so feisty. Entirely right. Isn't that the whole reason why Red Bull was so terrible here and everybody else was was good? It was because their cars were operating closer to the areas that they were designed to be run on the ride heights, whereas the Red Bull had to be jacked up because it can run so low normally, but it can't to 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 ensure that the plank wasn't worn out and things like that because of the bumps on this track. So I, th- I think you're totally right with that. Is James Allison making a particular difference to how they approach and execute and do those kind of uh, kind of tactical weekend decisions, anyone, do you think? The last few races, we've criticised Mercedes for being a sort of a bit slack operationally, like just a bit weird things about the cars not being in the right position for qualifying and it putting pressure on the drivers and stuff like that and the drivers colliding because they're not understanding, the communication's been off. And I, you know, we sort of flippantly credit that to the fact, oh, James Fowles has left, suddenly Williams are doing really well and suddenly Mercedes are a bit strangely <laughs> weak. Well, actually, fair play to them this weekend. You know, they, they, they operated in a different way. They targeted something and it and it very nearly paid off with a shock win for Mercedes so yeah hats off to them for that as to whether it's James Allison making the difference I'm afraid as of right now because I haven't spoken to him because I'm not in Singapore I don't I don't know if he would have made uh, made any had 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 any particular influence on what happened this weekend no, I just wanted probably a sidebar, silly question. Let's talk a little bit about Red Bull then, Matt. Uh, when did Red Bull start to struggle this weekend? Was it out of the gates in FP1? They seem to get worse between FP3 and qualifying we just heard Verstappen talk about balance all weekend and yet in race pace 
could you argue that was a good recovery drive, especially as he finished so close behind, you know, Leclerc, as we've mentioned already, pitted suboptimally as well, pitted just before the VSC, terrible timing. And so, um, Matt, what are your thoughts on where it, where did it go wrong for Red Bull this weekend? I think it went wrong before their ride because as Alex sort of prophetically wrote in his, his column last week, the Singapore was of all the tracks going to going to sort of um, really test Red Bull the most, uh, partly because the removal of those fiddly chicanes sort of helped favour Ferrari a little bit. But also, as, as we've said, that RB19 has, you know, a massive operating window. I don't, again, it's not got like any one key silver bullet, although I might come back to that point. But it's just, you know, the line is its weaknesses are less weak than the others, which is fine. But then coming to a street track with the high curves, and they've had to raise it out of its sweet spot. Friday was a disaster. You know, Red Bull were trying to back to back, to back to back uh, a new floor and a few components just to see where the upgrade is. Well, they've decided not to go with the new floor, but they said they had such a hard time validating the parts anyway because of how much of a mess Friday was for them. Saturday wasn't much better, but overnight they get it with Sunday. And if you think from Q1 cars are in park fermi that's really limiting what you can change tire pressures wings stuff uh, wing angles stuff like that so really limited but within those they managed to you know do a lot of problem solving the rb19 was much much quicker in race trim it was you know it wasn't back to its dominant best but it was comparable to to the leading team so that shows sort of the pace at which rebel uh, red bull could troubleshoot this weekend uh as for, and I think they'll be back for Suzuka, but I think some people will be thinking about their technical directives, plural, and, and what impact they've had this weekend. So one's flexi wings, the second is flexi floors. Christian Horner insists zero parts on the car have changed because of the technical directives. I have my suspicions that he was addressing only the flexi wings in that. And that's not me trying to like skirt around some like libelous sort of thing. I just think in, in that the way he was asked that question, he was focusing on flexi wings in particular. I still think the floor is a major area of concern. And, and this goes right back to uh, not concern, but intrigue. This goes right back to last year when there's talk of flexi floors, weren't there? And how they get the plank to, to interact with the ground and to keep the seal of ground effect. I still think that could be something. I think it also pertains to Aston Martin as well. So whether there is a drop off from Red Bull but very much it was like an unwelcome cocktail of things that came together this weekend in Singapore to really exaggerate it and make them look as bad as they were so what I, what I mean in a roundabout way I don't think this is like, like a permanent malaise and the, there's going to be a you know Ferrari are going to somehow crawl back into a, a title fight and make it two horse race I don't think that for a moment um, but yeah bad weekend for Red Bull but if there is a drop off in Suzuka maybe you can begin to ask a question of what what elements of Red Bull's dominance throughout the first half of the season were based on something that has now been, um, I think, to, with technical directives, you can't say outlawed, but been advised against. Well, I think we should say it's a good weekend for F1, isn't it? I think we did need this, and I don't mean that as a, you know, as a, as a swipe at Red Bull. I, it would be the same if it was anyone else. You know, it used to be fun to come to Singapore and think, oh, Merck might not win this time, um, like when Vettel won for Ferrari in 2015. So I think it's good to have a different winner, but I think it says a lot that we've had to come up with. There are an awful lot of reasons, track-specific, rule-specific. Even the, the timing of the safety car stuffed them as well. 
so they had circumstances within the race, within the track, within the regulations that all worked against them. And Verstappen still came fifth, absolutely flying through at the end. Uh, so, you know, in a way that's slightly terrifying that on their worst day, Max still looked like an absolute rocket ship. You know, Perez, we know, he just just can't do it when he's back in the pack like that he's he can't come through in the same way that max can and and to be fair max was dying head as well so yeah it was a i I'd, I'd back up matt's point of how good red bull are turning a problem weekend around as well you know they did look genuinely quick today but the circumstances of the race meant that they couldn't really unleash it could they have won i can imagine max being in that group behind sites <laughs> having to think his way through as well but even so you know if that's their worst weekend of the year then uh crikey yeah i, th- I think now's a good a good time to talk about perez because um first of all like we obviously we criticize him quite a lot on the podcast and it's not it's not anything against him he's actually a really nice guy it's just it's frustrating when a car is that good and a driver isn't able to take it even anywhere near the level that it's capable of like uh, for some reason because i'm such a loser i was thinking about the term you know the, the cliche of drivers outperforming a car and it's just nonsense isn't it you, the car is capable of doing it the driver just take the certain drivers can take it to as yeah honestly when i was hung over in this hotel room in in in, in welling garden city that is what i was thinking about let's 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 move swiftly on i don't know why i was just getting really annoyed about it um that's why we criticise Perez because we know how good the RB19 is and, and, and we should have a title fight if he uh, was able to get near Max Verstappen. Like he's, that's, that's the reason why the season has been so dull is because it's not like Rosberg and Hamilton at Mercedes because that was genuinely interesting even though Lewis generally had the edge over Rosberg right? because they were so closely matched. So that's why Perez gets his criticism. I did want to talk about Helmut Marco and the, just the horrific comments. Like, come on, mate. Unacceptable to even think those things. Like, And it's not even like a oh, the guy's old and he's, you know, he's a different attitudes or whatever. Come on, you react and you, the world changes and and those things like that, thoughts like that were always wrong. So come on, Helmut Marco, just just stop now, okay? The fact that he was undermining his own driver. I mean, it's ridiculous. Why go there? So anyway, so a tough situation Perez has put in by someone who works for or, or works for Red Bull, the organisation, not the team. I know it's very different, right? Anyway, that said, he had a terrible race today. Uh I uh, I know we talked about on the um, I just wanted to get out of the way because I think it's very important to say but also just with Perez um, I know we talked about it on the YouTube video Martin that I was saying oh Sonoda's probably uh, to blame for their shutout I've now had a chance to properly see that and actually it's basically 50-50 Pe- uh, Sonoda should know that Perez is he's it, it, at the very start of the race he's at, uh, at the fourth corner he should know there could be, could be a car there and Perez is just just way risking it too much too early and that again there's an incident there that takes out another car so he's lucky to sort of get away with that and then the incident with Albon at the end I think Perez doesn't uh, he, he's out of control basically I don't think he means he's not think he's trying to go for an overtake I don't think he means to do it he just finds himself in a situation coming off that bridge uh, onto the back straight that he's just sort of out of control and, and he gets a penalty so yeah yeah tricky again when you see that Max Verstappen even though this is not a good result for Red Bull it's still a great drive from Verstappen. I don't see how you can view it in any other way because he couldn't do anything about the timing of the safety car. He was on the hard tyres. There was no point destroying them when he was when he was running in the back. It was all about being great at the end, and he was great at the end. How do you rate some of the great drives that we saw today? So Carlos Sainz, I think, is a nailed on 10 out of 10. Uh, he didn't get anything wrong this weekend. Lando Norris, absolutely brilliant. Over the moon to get second. Lewis Hamilton finishing third, had enough in his tyres, could have done better. Uh, Max Verstappen could have got fourth today with another lap or two of the Grand Prix and arguably did, from where he started and the bad 
hand that the pit stops the way they fell and the safety car VSC. Um, Max Verstappen did a great job today. Pierre Gasly in sixth. Mentioned that at the beginning of the podcast. Haven't got onto him yet. Uh, that Alpine's got no business being best of the rest, but it was. Oscar Piastri did well. Liam Lawson getting points uh, in in his second full weekend, really. So, you know, Kev, Alex, I'll start with Kev, actually. Um, there were some really good standout drives yeah. today. Esteban Ocon as well. I thought his move on Alonso was absolutely mega. Like Not many people do that to Alonso in a wheel-to-wheel situation. There were a lot, there were a lot of good just, drives today. Just very quickly on Ocon, can I just say, uh, what I liked about that as well is it just would have annoyed Alonso because we know they don't <laughs> get on. I just think this, not only was it brilliant, it would have really infuriated <laughs> but it was, but, it were, but they were still respectful on track. Right? They gave each other room. Like you, a lot unlike, of, unlike when they were teammates. Uh, yes, but great... Uh, Often a great overtaking manoeuvre requires the person being overtaken to realise they're being overtaken as well. There's a fine line between a great move and a and a shunt. And well, it's an Oda Perez. It's, it's exactly it's exactly what happened on lap one. Yeah. yeah. So no, I think there are a lot of good drivers. You pretty much you know named named a lot of them. I do think Science is a ten. I would I would give him a ten. I think He's the others. I think you, the others you've a named ten. there are probably. Probably, yeah, without going through all the sort of onboards and data that Alex will be doing or has done, um, eights and nines, I would think, are probably most of those that you've just described there. I mean, obviously, Lewis has to lose a mark at least for effectively being behind George for all but the last <laughs> half lap of the race. George Russell, I wouldn't want to have to score him because obviously, as, as Toto uh, said, you know, 99.9% great weekend, but he's in the wall with no points. So that's got to cost you quite heavily on the old scoring, I think, really. Um, but yeah, lots of lots of good performances. Yeah, I wanted to give uh, give Ocon a shout, and yeah, Liam Lawson. Yeah, and he didn't jump out of the way for Verstappen either when Max caught him, which was quite quite nice to see. Uh, I think actually going back to the Perez point, who will score lowly, I'm sure. If you look at the gaps on the pure pace across the season, the gap between him and Max Verstappen is bigger than the gap between Albon and Logan Sargent at Williams. Now, okay. You could say, well, Albon isn't Max Verstappen. Well, no, but as Alex has already very correctly pointed out, you can't make a car go quicker than it can go. Like physics. So if that's your benchmark, then you know Logan Sargent is fighting for his drive. I would say at the moment, and my gut feeling is that he probably shouldn't be an F1 driver. Like he got a gig. I think he'll go and be a professional racing driver elsewhere. Probably not quite quite F1 level Pre's being in Liam Lawson next I think we want to see him in a full time seat but so for Paris to be that far off that's why we do the criticisms that we do because it, you know, it's a big gap for a top seat it's the same argument why I used to you know people used to take the mick out of me for, t- for getting cross to Kimi Räikkönen when he was wasting the second Ferrari seat when you've only got a handful of cars capable of fighting for victory you want them all to be filled with drivers who are also capable of fighting for victory um, that's that's gone. I've gone a bit off piece from your driver ratings point. So <laughs> ten for science, nine and eights for most of those other drivers. George Russell, I'm going to let Alex have that problem for tomorrow. Yeah, I can I can reveal that. I think Russell won't get the lowest score despite the fact he made the biggest error. Or oh, actually, no, sorry, he didn't. Logan Sargent's getting the lowest score for having a, just a terrible embarrassment. Well, what about Lance Stroll? <laughs> he gets ah, uh, but he gets. Uh, no. I know. Well, again, again, we've not applicable. The yeah. we've, we've, we've ruined the driver rating slightly for not including qualifying. So Lance Stroll gets an, uh, an NA. Yes, but uh, well, that will be changing for next year. So don't worry about that. In in the unfavourable comparison between Sargent and Albon, I didn't even think Sargent's shunt was as lame as when. Alwyn did the same shunt last year. <laughs> and and then Matt, other standout performances, Oscar Piastri in seventh, didn't have any of the new bits that, uh, and there were plenty of new bits uh, on front wing, on 
side pods on floor on the McLaren. Uh, and Oscar still finished seventh. Uh, and Kevin Magnussen finishing tenth in the Haas. Alex Albon should have been in the points. He described it as, I think it was something like a, being a something T-boned by uh, Perez, but was, was particularly... You know, it's really annoyed with that incident. So again, Albon could have scored points. So some other standout drives, Matt. Who caught your eye today? The Albon, uh, the Albon uh, shunt is is worth a mention because I think um, I'm just looking at the constructors' championship, and actually it doesn't change much. But I know Val was just speaking to our colleague Adam Cooper, and he reckoned it was you know, uh, did he call it like a twenty million pound? Error, something like that, in terms of what it what it could uh, what it could cost them. But yeah, Albon strong drive. Piastri, um, I don't know. Maybe they had the correct answer on Sky Sports. We don't listen to Sky Sports in the media centre. But no point in a weekend, uh, and it's probably my fault and reflects badly on me as a not very diligent journalist. But didn't have the complete breakdown of the parts that he had and what Norris had. I think he may have had some bits, but not the complete sort of ma- major upgrade. But yeah, he, he another another st- strong strong drive from him. Him. Ocon, uh, Ocon did well. I thought Joe, you know, coming back from a pit lane to be uh, keep his nose out of trouble. Um, and what was he twelfth? Is all right. But Lawson, I think uh, that's that's where I'm going to focus. Like you say, um, you know, was really upbeat, no nerves when or anything. Uh, you know, joking about oh, Verstappen's the last person I want to start alongside. Like say, didn't didn't you know um move out the way for him necessarily and you you have him doing that on a on a day when you know Sonoda retires on lap one okay after a bit of a biff with from Prez and all right it's a lap further than he made it at the last race so you know 62 rounds time he'll be at the checkered flag it's four but, four corners is all he made yeah, this time. yeah yeah it's just but um Sonoda, you, I know, right, sorry, I'm getting a bit muddled up, but you know, earlier in the season, Nick DeVries was obviously peddling a narrative and fighting for a seat, which is why he voted Sonoda as his driver of the season. And a couple of other drivers voted Sonoda also, probably because they could be bothered to think of anyone else after DeVries has suggested it. But nevertheless, he was he was doing mega at the start of the season. But he's fallen away, you know, Ricardo in a small sample size ahead. Lawson, you know, not putting, not making any mistakes and and coming in. And Sonoda is now a known quantity. We know Ricardo is going to get one of the AlphaTauri seats, so it's a two v one for that final thing. And and Lawson is is staking such a strong claim. You know, Horner saying he's fantastic, impressive. I'm, you know, I know it's a bit high of high public but I'm actually not sure what more he could be doing at this point I think it's such an impressive cameo it would just be entertaining to see how he gets on the Suzuka a track he does know well whether whether that plays against him or you know and he, and he overcooks it or whether you know maybe another point could be in the offing and if I could add to that you know the intense horrible humid sweaty conditions of Singapore are one thing but a street track with concrete walls that close when effectively he's been parachuted into a new car and then what two weekends in is then having to learn a whole new package because of such a whole up sale upgrade and then having to benchmark it I think that's so impressive can I, can I put forward a, a shock candidate for a terrible drive uh, Mr. Fernando Alonso of the Aston Martin team Silverstone. Like, <laughs> I know that that pit lane entry is like deceptively hard because when Max came in for his stop, he was right over the curb. Like he wasn't over the line, but he was on the limit there. Like it's it's tricky. It's not easy, right? But what would like it was such a sloppy error. Like as soon as he made it to 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 think that he could he could cut back on and then going off 
Like, oh, I don't know, he was really unlucky with the pit stop and everything seemed to be going wrong for Aston. But yeah, just errors we don't expect Alonso to be making. And he's going to get a low score tomorrow because where was the redeeming, like, you know, it took him a long time to to get past the, the Perez when, you know, the Red Bull's tyres were ancient. Like, he, even Max, even, you know, the cars at the front, they, they were all going by Verstappen in a Red Bull and it was really, really strange, right? So, um... Yeah, just just a, a, a weird subpar weekend from Alonso. And, and Matt, I don't know, is there any, has Aston been saying anything in particular? Because we expected them, a bit more like Monaco, to be a bit bit, bit more like, like we saw them at the beginning of the season, be a real threat for potential victory. So there's a, a couple of uh, elements to it. There's one, I think, the, the, so... Alonso was rubbish on the hard tyres. I think that was one thing and they think there's a sort of a uh, couple of damaged uh, components on it, which I think is uh, from, from debris from Sargent. But if you wind back to obviously Monaco and Aston Martin looking like a credible win threat there to Verstappen, I think some element of it is just a development rate. It's Aston Martin has lost out, been surpassed by rivals. But I think this is where the TDs come back into it. So at Miami, I think Aston Martin was asked not to run a, uh, a, a certain front wing and you look at the results and that correlates with a drop-off. Um, and I would suppose, or I, I would consider that another uh, the other TDs coming in for this weekend might have affected affected form as well. I'm not, I'm not 100% certain on that, but it was such a stark drop-off you know, okay, uh, Alonso had a bad race execution, but his his qualifying pace wasn't there either. Lance Stroll's a, a separate issue that we can we can come on to, but yeah, it was it was pretty pretty abysmal. And I would add, like, okay, it's their first season under this re rebrand redevelopment with you know a. a having started so strongly and perhaps an inevitable falling away and you'll get to the end of the season and if they're fourth, if they manage to keep McLaren at bay, they would have taken that all day, all season long. But yeah, it's, it's quite a drop-off at, at this point. Just in, interestingly, uh, just where the, the some of the Red Bull analysis came from earlier, it would be amused to know that Horner and uh, Paul Monaghan wouldn't say anything on why they thought they'd struggle. But Dan Fallows go, well, if I had to guess, like with his intimate knowledge of every way the Red Bull works, and, and yeah, so I thought that was Amusing. <laughs> Kev, before we move on from the, uh, the sort of next generation drivers, Liam Lawson, he seems, I don't know if this is unfair of me to say, the next generation drivers that are coming up seem so well prepped. Like they seem so kind of wise beyond their years. Like I know drivers have been when they've come up through karting and all the, you know, the feeder formula and stuff like that. But Kev, what are your thoughts on this kind of next generation of drivers coming through? Like Piastri seems like he's been in the sport forever. Uh, and and Lawson as well just seems just so able to cope with so much. Well, it's been a trend of the last few years. You know, we've seen it with the you know with the Aston Martin will sort of be our DC award, which we'll be able to actually be doing the four finalists next week. So that's a brilliant segue that we hadn't <laughs> planned. Um, and you see, it, you see it each year that the, the the finalists, even the ones that don't win, they're just so much more on it and professional and all rounders than the average used to be. You know, I've been doing it since two thousand and eight, and that year Alexander Sims was the winner, and he he you know, he prepped. Uh, to a point that the others didn't, and now they all prep. Like they just all arrive much more on the ball, switched on. Even drivers you've not heard of or that don't go on to any get anywhere near F1, the level is just incredibly high. I would stick up for Piastri and say I- I'm not yet convinced that he's not outrageously fast. I think Piastri is, you know, his record 
And let's, let's remember the situation he's in as well, up against Lando. I do think he's one of the quickest guys on the grid at the moment. I think Piastri is absolutely nailed on Grand Prix winner, championship fighting material if his career goes the way I, yeah, I hope it does. Lawson I'm less convinced about yet. Yeah, I think Lawson is someone that you go, he deserves an F1 shot. And let's see how it goes. Piastri, you go, he's 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 in F1 for the long term. So I think you can tell that as they come up. But no, you're right. They are all... Uh, that's why I was a little bit surprised DeVries didn't do a better job, actually, because he's he's got even more experience because he's operated at a high level in other championships and obviously it didn't work out for him uh, for whatever reason. But yeah, I think... I think uh, remember, they don't have as much testing, so it's very hard to come in now and just go, oh, I'm Lewis Hamilton Fast 2007, because he'd done thousands and thousands of kilometres of running before he got into a Grand Prix. Now they don't get that. So I, I think we need to give them a little bit more time to see see where they're at but yeah certainly Lawson has done a good good enough job to warrant a, a full season uh, and yeah I, I reckon Piastri will be mega fast give him another year 18 months just just on the De Vries thing uh, Kev it just just struck me then to think like I covered him in Formula 2 back in 2017 and he just lost the momentum like it's this amazing superstar Carter then as he got into the bigger cars he just wasn't as good as especially as, as and the rest got better and I think that yeah he did have a lot of experience and he is a very very good, very professional racing driver. But I just think when you get into Formula One, ultimately the searing pace in the in these cars is what makes the difference. And I just think he lacked it. Like he just wasn't he's he's good, just not spectacular. And when you do that in a in, in front of Helmut Marco, I know I <laughs> criticized him earlier, but the guy does make calls. Like you've got to impress him and he didn't impress him. I, I think I think that's I think that's fair. I, I do think that's fair. Um, and you know he's one. Davies one of those drivers. Lawson's another one. Sergeant actually wasn't terrible in the lower formulas. It's not, Lance Stroll. Not offensive to have an F one shot, right? All of these people deserve. You know, I'm not offended by the fact. Mick Schumacher, quite good. They did enough that they deserved an F one chance. But you then grade how <laughs> how long they should hang around. Lance has artificially stayed in F one beyond where he should be. I think we can say that. We all know why. Talked about it loads of times. I think Sergeant, it's like, thank you. Now go and be a sports car driver or a GT driver. Lawson, I want to see more. It sounds a bit brutal. It maybe it sounds a bit helmet marco, but we are talking about what should be the twenty best drivers in the world. So you could be the twenty first best driver in the world, which means you're still mega, but you're, you know, out the door on something else. So there are lots of professional challenges out there with lots of very good drivers, and I'm sure any one of those that we've just named will be a professional racing driver in a major championship for years to come. Wondering where we should end as an interesting little talking point. Uh, uh, I have a possible rant that you may or may not agree with. We cannot leave before we hear this. Can I just say how ridiculous it was that Lewis Hamilton had to fall behind Lando Norris after the first corner? So if you look at the... So I've looked at it a few times. He... It's not one of those. So if he'd just gone sailing and not braking and immediately committed to the runoff, absolutely, of course, he has to give the place back. Totally get that. But if you look at the replay, Lando is not as brave on the brakes, whatever you want to call it, and and Lewis goes past him. He then comes alongside, and he's fully under control at that point. He would slot in. If George isn't there, he would slot in perfectly fine. We wouldn't be talking about it. He then decides, I don't really fancy driving to the side of my teammate. So he bails across and obviously gets ahead of both of them, quite correctly gives George the place back. I know he had to be told, but that was correct. But to fall behind Lando, I'm sorry. I know that this is my 
I agree with Alex about the Martin Brundle's commentary and, and everyone's commentary. I think actually is really good, but I just thought that was an absolute nonsense getting out of the way of Lando. Yeah, actually, so this is going to be one of those podcasts that James, our boss, hates because I've been agreeing with everyone and I'm going to agree with Kev here. Um, <laughs> I thought you were about to give me a killer blow there. No, no, I wasn't. I, I said this on the YouTube video, which I thought I hope I plugged enough. Not that I'm, not that I'm under any pressure to. I just keep mentioning it. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, I just thought Lando just was just chancing his luck with the yeah, radio. Absolutely. Yeah. Like it, it, Lewis clearly breaks later, clearly would have made the corner. Uh, I, I think he just does too good a job in the runoff. Like he just, yeah. he knew exactly what he had to do and he did it. If he'd been a bit more like, I need to make a decision, it probably would have looked like, the, I know it's so horrible to use that like a politics word, but like the optics would have looked better, right? Like he just, what else could he do there? And he correctly gave the position back to George. It was funny, George going, uh, uh, he's giving me that back, right? And But, but he didn't need to give one to, to, to Lando. He got the pass done. I feel like Lando's radio message is one of those that we hear a lot now, which is basically, it's the equivalent of the striker falling over in the box and hoping they'll get a penalty. And if they get a penalty, one in every 10, then great, happy days, right? So it's like, oh, I'll have a moan on the radio. He can't have expected. And then when Lewis went out of the way, and, oh, brilliant, this is amazing. I wasn't expecting this. I just think, yeah, I thought that was that was a load of old nonsense, honestly. Because that, that radio thing exposes the, you know, the whole like, uh, when we when we write stories or ask them questions about, you know, Lando being horrifically rude to his engineer in Sanford, he's like, yeah, well, I'm operating at 200 miles an hour. It's stressful. It's like, yeah, it is. But then you use it, not necessarily you, Lando, but all drivers use it to try and gain competitive advantage so they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. Oh, they're, they're all at it aren't they oh they ran off the road at this point and they overtook me on the off the track all this yeah as the i think probably the yeah the, the, the stewards and whatever just need to ignore all radio messages and just look at the screens at that point and of course the if i hadn't gone off track we would have hit each other uh excuse which you hear uh as well from people who uh who dive out of the way from something they're like oh if it wasn't i was the hero in this situation we would have come together well, well that's that's the excuse used to, for people holding on around the outside of corners longer than they should like i'm i'm, I'm gonna sound like a real old fart now but 30 40 years ago you hold around the outside of the corner you're in the gravel in the grass or in a wall now you've got runoff so you go oh he forced me off no you would have bailed out early if you had any common so you know but they're all they're all trying their like it's not really a criticism of any particular one driver it's just where we've got to because of the way that circuits have had to evolve so i'm, I'm not trying to make a, an enormous uh, statement there but uh, it is something that we all have to be aware of when drivers are getting on the radio go, oh but the other comedy quote was obviously max verstappen calling his car undrivable in the weekend which i thought was one of the most amusing things i've heard uh, so actually uh, there are another 18 drivers on the grid that would very much like to have a car as undrivable as the rb19 in this season <laughs> Well, that was far better than what I was going to suggest the last talking boat, which was Alpine. So Ocon would have been a top six finish. Gasly finished uh, sixth. A great Grand Prix for those drivers. But uh, I was going to ask about uh, whether Alpine management on a Monday morning will be patting themselves on the back and going, yes, that's exactly how we need to manage our people, you see, or the French version of that. Uh, and uh, and that's probably not the best way to treat uh, people. But they'll think they're absolute genius management chess players because since that, Alpine have done actually quite well since all the changes. Uh, but uh, also well under Haas, Kevin Magnussen getting 10th. And uh, what else came out of this weekend? Not too much else, actually. Yeah, bad one for Alonso. Go on, go on, Matt. Can I talk about Lance Stroll, please? 
So, Lance Stroll didn't start, so he said uh, that it was the fault of the Weybridge, which last time I checked was nowhere near the final corner of the I, track. I thought he ran onto the track and forced him off at the last corner, didn't it? So he blamed the, the Weybridge for his lack of talent, which he then later also <laughs> did say. He also did say that it was uh, he was going full send or something like that, which is yes. sort of code for... I just sort of went to see what would happen, and I mean, well, the inevitable happened. It, 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 it was a full send straight to the scene of the accident, wasn't it? I mean, it's, it's harsh, isn't it? Because it's it's on a knife edge. Go on, Matt. You, you say well, something sensible. I, well, I admire his lack of self-preservation in that moment to go full send because his his attitude is yeah, Weybridge, traffic. Uh, dirty air from the Alpine, poor tyre prep. He's got to overcome all of that. So he's he's done what? Uh, it's a three-mile lap, so he's done 2.8 miles of it, and he's got tenths to make up, and he decides he can do that in one corner by, I go, full sending it. So to come back to Alex's quibble about... To come back to Alex's quibble about out-driving a car, there's out-driving a car, and then there's out-driving the laws of physics. So he just turns it in, and... Not only does he put himself at risk, but it's the, you know, the idea that in a in a cost cap with other drivers around you, when you've got mechanics, that utter recklessness. I thought it was really poor. That's not how lap times work. You can't gain it all back in one corner, uh, such a well-defined corner where everyone knows what the limit is. I thought it was a really sort of bad attitude to have, the sort of you know the basically sod it I'll, I'll go for it and and Mike Crack and I, I put that you know that was a wrong approach to Crack and Crack was quite defensive in his media duties this morning he said you know it's, it's a sign of his commitment and okay Lance Stroll's commitment was shown earlier this season when he came back for his double wrist injury and I have no doubt that after such a big shunt he was sore this morning but the car could have been dressed up in time to race uh, you can't have another driver and they have to do another practice session but you know, is it because the Aston wasn't on form this weekend? Is it because he's falling behind Alonso? Like, why? You know, why? Why didn't he race today? I I thought it was a really sort of selfish attitude that initiated the shunt, and uh, yeah, a, a real a real question mark over that. The only thing that came out of it as a positive was usually Stroll can have a great race, and to get a good line out of him or to get some insight is blood from a stone he spent five minutes with the media he was really chipper about it really upbeat about his his huge spill so it's just it's just a bit of a bit of a hard bit of a hard one to work out sorry not to have a go forget forget the how long he spoke to the press forget even not racing today the fact that his attitude was tip it in and see what sticks sod the budget sod sod everything else and also like the other thing that he said it saved me so you know McLaren had that massive near miss sort of avoiding action within to him and I asked him about it and he's like well I just assumed the red flags would be out and just that like, again that's not it's not the attitude is it no can we put two and two together and now that because uh, as Gary Watkins found last week with uh, some excellent journalism that Aston Martin almost certainly are going to go back to, to Le Mans which is where they should be that maybe it would be time to suggest to Lawrence Le Mans 24 hours, really big race, be a really good thing on the CV, and we can get two drivers to help Lance out. Uh, maybe that would be a really good project for him to get involved with, and maybe we could try somebody else in the in the second car. Because, you know, Fernando's not going to go on until he's 58, presumably. So, you know, you're going to need two new drivers at some point. Uh, so maybe start thinking about that. 
And we know Whitmarsh has uh, has made sort of tentative approaches for for Lando Norris and Charles Leclerc. I think the the line that gets us out of the out of the courtroom is that that's either to replace Lance Stroll or be the long term successor to Fernando Alonso. But it, it you know it could potentially be a more short term ploy than that. I just um, I just had a quick look at the driver ratings, uh, uh, you know the the, the the descriptions of what each one is, and I did see if I could give Stroll a zero, but unfortunately he doesn't meet the criteria. It is an NA. Luca Badia will hold on to his. Uh, we like Luca Badia, by the way. This is not uh, not not any joy that I'm saying this, but he will be hanging on to his current record for the lowest uh, driver ratings uh, score. Maybe that's a feature. Pick out the worst. Uh, no, that's a bit mean, isn't it? No, but perhaps, perhaps we won't do that. I have to have, well, have to no, no. Out. If they didn't do their job, they need to be called and reminded of it several years down the line. Thank you, <laughs> as you do about stuff I probably did years ago. I've got a yeah. list. I'll send it over once you're back from Singapore. Kev still not forgiving me for using the word infancy in copy once. That was very upsetting. <laughs> Matt has to get to bed to get on a plane tomorrow and we're off to Suzuka and uh, JBL will be there uh, as well. And uh, yeah, so for European viewers, uh, obviously listeners all over the world, so I'm sorry for, to focus on the sort of European viewers. It's an early morning one as they head off to uh, Suzuka, a great track that we can't wait to see. And we think, yeah, Red Bull will be uh, back on form there. Make sure you are fully tuned into autosport.com over the next couple of days for all of the fallout. We talked a lot about driver ratings, my favourite things in is that uh, you can give your own driver ratings when you read Alex's. I, I always do. And um, because there's no there's nothing on the line, no one's checking my homework, uh, I, I'm always really mean. Yeah, you, don't get, you don't get driver managers, managers calling you up and telling you how terrible you are. Try to get on a weekly basis. So I think my last zero probably was Lance. Uh, but anyway, so that's fun. That's always good fun uh, to do. So make sure you check out the driver ratings. And on, of course, every Thursday, Autosport magazine uh, out in the shops or just far more conveniently dropping through your letterbox. Uh, find out more at autosport.com forward slash plus uh, to get access to what I think is the world's greatest motorsport journalism. But I am slightly biased. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast and we'll catch you on the next one. Podcast Network.